Welcome to Social PR Secrets, the podcast. My name is Lisa Beyer, and I'll be your host. Today, I caught up with David Meerman Scott. This was during the COVID crisis right at the beginning of lockdown. David and I talk about everything from his latest book called Fanocracy to some of his favorite social PR secrets when it comes to public relations and social media. David is a best-selling author. He is most known for his book, The New Rules of Marketing and PR. I highly recommend following him, and I hope you enjoy this interview. Lisa, how are you? This is a weird world we live in, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it is. We've um, seen a lot in our PR days going from, you know, traditional PR to modern day PR to now this new world of PR. We don't know. Yeah, Every, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but David, you just wrote a book that came out, um, I think, right around January, right? Yeah, January 7th. Exactly. January 7th. Fanocracy, and it's about turning fans into customers and customers into fans from a through the lens of you and your daughter, right? Yeah, my daughter Reiko, who's 27 years old. And interestingly, as Reiko was writing the book, um, she was in medical school. As we were researching and writing the book, she was in medical school for over the last four years. Um, but we learned in the last less than a week that she's going to be doing her residency in emergency medicine at Boston Medical Center, which is the um, this going to be the center of the universe for COVID-19 in all of New England. And it turns out that Boston University School of Medicine, where she's a student, is going to graduate them early. And um, the governor is going to fast track their M medical license to be, be a doctor. So she is my co-author and my daughter and will now be an emergency medical um, emergency uh, department doctor um, starting three weeks from as we're recording this. So mid-April of 2020 um, in the thick of COVID-19. So I feel like I'm sending her off to war. <laughs> yeah, yeah, on the front lines. I mean, she's gonna be one of those very special people that we're gonna be counting on. Absolutely right, absolutely right. For sure. Um, yeah, so, so we, um, we came at this thing five years ago because um, I was seeing something, I, I know you were too, Lisa, because we've talked about this, seeing that the whole um, social media thing, online communications, was getting a little bit dark in some places and people were communicating um, in a negative way, in a polarizing way. The social networks themselves um, were optimized for profit as opposed to optimized for getting information out there. Um, and so it was um, a really different kind of approach um, that people were taking around the ideas that you've talked about for many years, that I've talked about for many years. And we felt like this is not the way to use these ideas. And so um, what Reiko and I decided to do was look at the things that we love because we're both like really into the things that we love. I'm a massive fan of the Grateful Dead, right? Can you tell? Yes, yes, yeah, <laughs> um, I definitely know that. <laughs> and uh, I wrote a book called Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead a couple of years ago. And Reiko's a massive fan of Harry Potter. So our thesis going into writing this book was, um, we believe that any organization can build fans in the same way the Grateful Dead has built fans, in the same way that Harry Potter has built fans. That was our thesis. And after five years of research, there is no question 
that that is true. Anybody can grow fans. Um, and we have a number of chapters where we talk about different prescriptions, but as our world has turned upside down in the last couple of weeks as we're recording this, um, it's actually many of the ideas are incredibly powerful for how even when you can't meet people face to face and you can't in many businesses do business as usual, there's still ways to grow fans. Yeah, definitely. And we were actually both at the same HubSpot conference inbound a couple of years ago when yeah. they announced the, the funnel is broken and what does the new funnel look like? And, you know, the new funnel is, you know, falls in line with fanocracy is that, you know, it's actually the customers are basically, you know, making creating, you know, they're the end result and they're, they're the starting point and they're, right. you know, you have to keep going. You can't forget yeah. the customer and move on to the prospect. It's nurturing those customers. So what are some actionable, it's, this has never been harder for any size business. I mean, the airlines, you know, are right. getting hit and small businesses are getting hit and, you know, every, everybody in between is getting hit. So yeah. what, what do you, what can we grab from your book to, to make us make our business stand out and help? So um, there's a couple of different chapters in fanocracy that I think are incredibly applicable right now. Um, one of the first, um, one of the first ones um, is a chapter um, titled give more than you have to give more than you have to. So, um, when we were thinking about this concept, I actually started with the idea of the Grateful Dead because they allowed fans to record their concerts. Um, <laughs> the, the only band that did that, I mean, every, every other band on the ticket, it says no recording allowed. The Grateful Dead said, sure, why not? You can record our concerts. And it made a massive fan base. They turned into one of the most popular touring bands in history. So this idea of giving gifts, this idea of giving something with no expectation of anything in return is incredibly powerful in our world today. I've noticed over the last couple of weeks, as I've been thinking about um, how companies are communicating in our world today, um, that there's a number of um, people who, number of companies, a number of PR people, a number of marketers um, who are trying to sell stuff, right? Buy my product, buy my product, <laughs> buy my product, right? COVID-19 sale, you know, COVID-19, now is the time to buy what we offer. Um, but I've also noticed that many organizations are trying to be helpful during this period. That's what we're doing right now. You know, you're creating this, yeah. wonder, this wonderful conversation where you and I can talk about ideas for people um, to um, be able to maybe make a couple of changes in their business during this period of time. So um, this idea of giving more than you have to is really, really interesting. And I was thinking about that myself. <laughs> um, and, um, and I'm thinking about what what can I do to give back to the universe? I think of it as giving back to the universe yeah. um, when I have areas of expertise that people might be interested in. So, um, so I personally am, am doing these kinds of, uh, of, of live streams and podcasts and whatnot whenever I can. Um, but I also decide to make myself available um, privately for anybody who wants to have a quick meeting with me, 20 minutes or an hour with me, or wants to um, uh, maybe have me do a webinar for their company and a very nominal fee, um, which is 100% of that uh, profit is going to Boston University 
uh, sorry, going to a Boston Medical Center where my daughter will be an emergency room doctor um, in a very short period of time. Um, so I thought I could give back in that way. And I think that the people who are giving back are the ones, um, the people who are giving gifts without any expectation or anything in return. The people who are giving to the universe are the ones that, oh, as we come out of this in se hopefully several months, but it may take longer, the people who give more than they have to, the people who give gifts with no expectation or anything in return are going to be the ones that will um, benefit from that in the future. So it's not a time to you know, exploit the market to sell your stuff. Now is a time to help people so that when we emerge um, that, um, that people will remember those gifts that you gave. Yeah, that's a great point. And we both come at this with through the lens of public relations. And mm -hmm. I actually was on um, doing an interview yesterday and I was asked, you know, so what is the value of like examples of like why somebody should invest in whether it's time or money in public relations today? And what does that look like? And I think what you're describing is, you know, a form of just really good PR mm. and what are some examples that small businesses can also leverage public relations, whether it be, you know, doing different things with the media? Like, what can small to medium-sized businesses do in addition to what you're saying to um, to leverage the power of public relations? It's not it's not buying an ad. It's something yeah. that is pretty priceless. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so um, what I've seen is, I mean, you and I have uh, talked. Um, in the past on your podcast about newsjacking. Um, yeah. So newsjacking is when um, there's a news story that's breaking that you create content in some form, a blog, a blog post, a video, whatever it might be. Um, and then that is exactly what the media is looking for at that particular time. So I think that anybody who um, has a particular take on uh, this COVID-19 situation, whether, let's say you're um, a lawyer, and um, you're looking at the legal aspects of COVID-19. Or let's say um, you're, um, uh, you're somebody who runs a restaurant and you can't have people in the restaurant right now, but, but you're doing takeout and um, uh, you're, you're volunteering to create meals for your local hospital. Um, those are just two examples that pop into my brain, yeah. but can you share with the media, the things that you're doing or the expertise that you have in a non-exploitative way. So you don't want to do it as like, oh, look at me, I'm great. But rather, hey, the media is looking for all kinds of different stories about how this particular crisis is affecting different people and different businesses. So can you... Um, can you think of ways that you either have an area of expertise or you're doing something interesting and unique that um, me members of the media may want to write a story around um, and then get that out there some way? And you're, you're, um, you're way more of an expert than I am in, in ways to get that out, but you know, using social media or contacting reporters directly or creating a blog post or YouTube video um, or a tweet with a hashtag that will get people interested. 
Yeah, and it, it's tough today too for small businesses because you know small businesses aren't they don't have the deep pockets of let's say Zoom or Microsoft or um, you know these larger companies that are you know thankfully you know giving away their their product and subscription so that people can make it through this time. Mm -hmm. So from a small business standpoint, um, you know the value of you know if you don't have the dollars to to buy ads or or give away your services. Right. Um, you know, what are, you know, public relations is one way that you can actually, no um, question about it. yeah, yeah. You know, kind of get, get the exposure, get the reach and get the word out without yes. it costing you an arm and a leg to do it. That's exactly um, right. Exactly right. Um, and you know, something else comes to mind, Lisa, that's really interesting to me. Um, especially right now, um, when Reiko and I were writing Fanocracy, um, we, um, really wanted to dig into the neuroscience aspects of what's going on as we become fans of something. Um, Reiko did her undergraduate degree in neuroscience at Columbia University. And as I mentioned earlier, she's now going to be an emergency room doctor. Um, so we want to look at the science aspect. So what is happening in our brains when we become a fan of something? What's happening in my brain when I'm a fan of The Grateful Dead, when Reiko's a fan of Harry Potter, or somebody's a fan of a company that they do business with, which happens all the time? Um, what's happening, it turns out, is that all of us humans are hardwired to want to be part of a tribe of like-minded people. And when you're part of a tribe of like-minded people, you feel safe and secure. That's, that goes back to our ancient brains because, you know, if you were running around the forest or going into your cave and you're with your tribe, you're safe and you're comfortable and you're secure. But if you're not within your tribe and you meet other humans, that poses danger. So when I, for example, go to a Grateful Dead concert, I'm with my tribe of people. I can turn to anybody next to me and, and have a conversation. Um, when Reiko meets another Harry Potter fan, like the first thing they say is, what house are you in? And everyone knows what that means. Um, yeah. And you're part of your tribe. The same thing true is true, however, with companies. So, for example, you mentioned HubSpot Inbound Conference, where you and I connected in person a couple of years ago. That's a tribe of people, 25,000 people getting together in Boston. Um, and you can turn to anybody at that event, someone sitting next to you waiting for um, one of the um, speeches to start or someone in line for lunch or whatever it is, and have a conversation because you're with like-minded people who are all at that event. So um, what that means is how can you create this idea of a tribe in your business? And one thing um, that we learned from one neuroscientist um, uh, his name is Edward T. Hall, is that there's different levels of proximity, different levels of how close you are to another human being. Now, with COVID-19, we're all doing social, uh, we're all making sure that we're, we're not getting close to other people, but let's talk about first the physical aspects. So um, he defined, Edward T. Hall defined um, public spaces further than 12 feet away, and our brains don't track people who get in our public space. We know they're there, but we don't track them. We don't worry about them. Inside of 12 feet is called social space. So now when we're doing social distance, it's this idea of social space between four feet and 12 feet away. So keep your social distance. But within social space, we humans are tracking those people who are in our social space. We want to know, are they our um, 
friends? Are they part of our tribe or are they potential enemies? So you go to a, a crowded cocktail party, you're searching for your friends. You want to know if your part of your tribe is there. When you get into a crowded elevator, if you don't know people, um, you're worried because they're not part of your tribe. So, um, and then inside of four feet is called personal space. Um, clearly in COVID-19, we try not to get into people's personal space, which is why we're doing social distancing. But the closer you get to someone physically, the more powerful the shared emotions. Now, that's important when we're not in a COVID-19 world, because can you get people close together like HubSpot does with their inbound conference? However, there's another form of neuroscience science that's really interesting. It's called mirror neurons. Mirror neurons are the part of our brains that fire when we see someone do something as if we're doing it ourselves. So I'm going to demonstrate for, uh, for you. This is uh, a lemon, a slice of lemon I have here. And um, so if I take a bite of this slice of lemon, wow, biting into a lemon is powerful, right? You're, my eyes close. My eyes are actually watering a little bit. My mouth puckers up and my saliva is running. And, 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 you know, it's a powerful thing, really, really tart on my tongue, powerful thing to bite into a lemon. My brain is firing, but Lisa, your brain is firing too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're tasting a little bit of that lemon and everybody listening in is tasting a little bit of that lemon too. That's your mirror neurons kicking in. Now, here's how why this is really interesting for the world we're living in right now, where we can't get physically close to people. It's interesting because we have an opportunity using video. What we're doing right now, creating video where if you crop like we're doing right now, as if we're about four feet away from the camera, yeah. our brains, intellectually, we know that we're not in the same room. I know I'm not in the same room with you, Lisa. I know you're thousands of miles away from me. However, our mirror neurons say, no, we're in the same room. And therefore, we're having a strong connection right now because our brains say that we're in physical proximity, we're in personal space. So I recommend that everybody who wants to up their PR game, up their communications, reach people, develop a tribe, consider using video and photos more than you're doing right now, cropped as if it's four feet away, um, looking directly at the camera personal tone because people feel as though they know you. This is exactly why you feel you know a movie star and intellectually you know you've never met that movie star, but you feel you know them because your mirror neurons kick in and say you know them. Really powerful concept we can all do. Um, and now that you can't meet people physically for the foreseeable future, you can meet them virtually and create a tribe that way. Definitely. I think, I mean, we've been saying for years, video, 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 video has never been more important yeah. in the public relations strategy right now to reach and, and have an engagement and have like interaction and engagement. It's the only way right now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And I think like another thing with the tribe concept is that it, there's the trust factor. And once you have that trust factor, it's like, you know, somebody that's at a HubSpot conference inbound, yep. you know, I, I, I trust them automatically right. because we're on the same wavelength. Um, right. And then spe speaking of inbound and, and HubSpot, there's a lot to be learned from what just HubSpot's, you know, how, how they attract their customers and they have that whole 
um, an education part that is just basically you can learn so much from them for they free do, and, never, yeah. and never ever spend a penny on right. their products. But when you're ready to and do by, that. By the way, that's the concept we spoke about um, a couple of minutes ago. Yeah. The idea of the idea of giving gifts with no expectation of anything in return. There yeah. is so much free content that you can get from HubSpot. There's a HubSpot Academy where I've developed a course in HubSpot Academy teaching the ideas of fanocracy. Um, and there's hun uh, probably over a hundred other courses that you can take totally for free. This is an ama amazing resource for people. And this is actually, you know, as, as crisis mode as we're in, this is uh, perfect timing to learn as much as you can, take yep. advantage of those resources um, yep. and, and vice versa, offer those resources so that when, when things turn around, you know, your, your fans will become customers, right? I think that's, I think that's right. Um, and I wanna, I wanna just jump in a little bit on yeah. a, con a concept you just mentioned, um, trust. And yeah. I, total, I totally agree with you. Um, however, there, uh, and it's, this is actually another chapter in Fanocracy, what we learned is that um, it's incredibly important to be transparent and truthful in all you do. And this is a PR, this is something that PR people know. I mean, you have to get out in front of a story and be truthful. Um, you, you can't be seen as someone who's not being truthful. Um, but so many organizations try to like dance around the truth and it doesn't work in this environment. Um, and what does work is always, always, always tell the truth. Always be as transparent as you possibly can. Um, if you're in a situation, and we're, you know, crisis communications is a whole other topic, but if you're in a situation where people are looking to you um, during a situation that's fast moving, um, don't dig yourself into a deep hole. So um, this is another concept of, of building fans because your fans are going to trust you to always steer them right. And as soon as you don't, they will no longer be your fans. Yeah, so true. So what do you think is going to, like, what do you think there's going to be disruption that's going to happen and new things are going to pop up that we maybe can't predict will happen when it comes to PR, really any, you know, any types of different um, industries. But yeah. what do you think about virtual reality? I mean, virtual reality has kind of been like tugging, you know, little by little, but there's not been this big, huge jump for it. Do you think mm. that this is going to push that into more of a mainstream type of? Um, um, in, in what I see happening near term um, is that their virtual virtual reality will be uh, coming become will become more useful for things that we want to do um, that we can no longer do temporarily. Whether that let's say that you're in the market to buy a new house, um, and you, and you, you can't necessarily go to open houses anymore, um, mm -hmm. but virtual reality can be be a way that you can take a look at potential houses that you might want to buy, and then I'm told because um, I've had a couple of conversations with realtors, that um, things like open houses have been, for the most part, canceled in many places. But there's still houses that are offered for sale, still people making offers for houses, and interest rates are really low. So um, they'll do a private showing. 
but you don't want to go to like 30 private showings um, to find the house that you want. Maybe you can do 30 different or 50 different virtual reality showings mm -hmm. and then go to the five that you shortlist as, as ones that you want to see in person. Or I'm a massive live music fan, which I mentioned earlier. I've been to 75 Grateful Dead concerts. I've been to <laughs> 804 live concerts in my life. I know it's crazy, crazy geeky. Um, but virtual reality to go to concerts maybe is uh, something that um, the band um, whose musicians are in dif a difficult situation right now. No one, no one is doing live music anywhere yeah. in the world. Yeah. You know, you you cannot go see live music right now. Um, yeah. So maybe maybe people can do um, virtual concerts using virtual reality. So just a couple of ideas. I don't. I personally do not believe that virtual reality is gonna jump into every single um, different um, um, uh, business. Yeah. Um, I, I do think, however, that there will be opportunities in select businesses that rely on in-person engagements to perhaps use virtual reality in some new ways. Yeah, interesting. So just to switch gears for a minute, um, part of this, podcast has an encore for my second book, Digital Detox Secrets, which just came out in November. So um, I, you've shared with me your morning routine. Of, like, Can you share with the audience what are some of the things that you do for a digital mm -hmm. detox or just to, just to kind of get yourself through the situation that we're going through that maybe you, you're already doing, but now you're doing more of? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I read print books. Um, almost every night, I very rarely watch television, um, maybe once a week for two hours is kind of how much television I watch. Um, and, you know, our, my day, like most of us is all digital. It's doing things like we're doing right now. It's hanging out on email. It's watching YouTube videos. It's all the stuff that many of us are doing. So. Um, in the evenings, I want to break away from digital. And so I read, um, I read print books, I read magazines. Um, it's all analog, uh, which I mm -hmm. love. Um, mm -hmm. I exercise every single day. Fortunately, um, I've got a home gym, um, which is amazing. So um, today, um, today was my Pilates day. <laughs> yesterday, <laughs> yesterday was my weights day. The day before was my yoga day. Um, uh, and normally I swim a couple days a week, but my swimming club is closed um, for the foreseeable future. So I can't do that. Um, I love getting outside and going for a walk when it's nice weather. I do some mountain biking. So that is a great digital detox is, is just making sure that I'm doing something physical. I do that every single morning. Um, I used to tell people I do it every morning that I'm not on an airplane um, in the morning. Um, that's not happening. So it's every single morning. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And what advice would you give to the future PR professionals, the Gen Z um, millennials who are tr just starting out? Yeah, I think that um, we're going to, we're entering a new era of communications. We're entering a new era of public relations. Um, I think that um, we started, you know, you and I started our career, you know, some number of years ago. I'm not going to date myself, but it's some number of years ago. I'm in my fifties. Um, and, mm -hmm. um, and 
I, I started in communications, public relations, marketing prior to the web. Um, and that was a different animal. Then we had the ability to use the web to communicate and, and to do public relations. You know, in the early days, it was simple things like just doing um, online press releases. Then it turned into creating information sites, blogs, so on. Um, it turned into uh, social media. How can you use Twitter for public relations? It turned into virtual um, uh, connecting with reporters. I mean, lots of different things that you've talked about many times, Lisa. Um, but much of that got to the point where it was, you know, just pitching, pitching, and it's, it didn't feel, it started to, for me to not feel right over the last couple of years. Um, but I think that this situation we're facing right now is making people kinder and gentler. I really do. That's what I'm seeing. And so I think that the, I'm hopeful for the future. I think we've got a bright future. I think the opportunities to communicate and practice public relations in a kinder and gentler way um, it, it is available to all of us if we just simply don't go around thinking how much ink can I get today or how much stuff can I sell today, but rather how can I be helpful and how can I be kind and how can I be generous? Yeah, I agree. I think it's a great point. And I think that the public relations industry both sides, media and the PR professionals, need a little bit of humbling to to have this reset. So I think that's right. Yeah. Well, David, thank you so much. Share just a little bit about your book, where if we want to follow you, where is the best place to go and anything else you want to share. So yeah. <laughs> I put it up here. Fan yeah, yeah. Fanocracy, turning fans into customers and customers into fans. I wrote it with my 27-year-old daughter, Reiko, who is just about to become an emergency room doctor. Um, and a couple of places you can reach me. There is a wonderful site at fanocracy.com where we have tons of stuff that we're giving away for free with no expectation of anything in return. Um, I, men I mentioned a moment ago, or, you know, earlier in our conversation, that I've started this opportunity for anybody who wants to have one-on-one -on -one time with me at a nominal fee, all of the profit going to Boston Medical Center. Um, uh, the, the application is not quite live as we're speaking right now, uh, but within a week, it should be available at livefanocracy.com. On social media, I am DM Scott, D-M-S-C-O-T-T. Definitely follow David. He's worth the follow for sure. Oh, so thank you, Lisa. Yes, David, and our thoughts and prayers and hope will be with your daughter, Reiko. Well, right? with, all, this. with all of us, with all of us. Yes, humanity. with all of us. Yeah. Yes, yeah. all of humanity, for sure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. And it's super interesting. I learned a lot, as always, and I'm sure everybody else did, too. Cool. Thanks Namaste. for having me. Thank yeah. you. Namaste. Right, same to you. <laughs>